It's time for a Your Gal Friday flashback episode. We're re-airing an episode from our sister show that ties into our research theme. This month is the Women of Music. Ella Fitzgerald is a jazz performer who sang many songs from the Great American Songbook. She's also known as one of the best scat performers. The longevity of her career is due to her tenacity, but also... Marilyn Monroe. Discover the amazing life and legacy of Ella Fitzgerald in this Your Gal Friday flashback episode. Welcome to Your Gal Friday, a podcast about female leaders, innovators, and rule breakers. Each week, your hosts, Kate and Phoebe, will shine a spotlight on an amazing gal and talk about what we can all learn from her. Brought to you by Gal's Guide to the Galaxy. Welcome to Your Gal Friday. I'm Kate Chaplin. And I'm Phoebe Freer. Today we're talking about a gal who is one of the top jazz singers in history. Named the first lady of songs, she won 13 Grammys and sold more than 40 million albums. She sang songs from the Great American Songbook and made them her own. Ira Gershwin once said, I never knew how good our songs were until I heard Ella Fitzgerald sing them. Today we are going to talk about the life and legacy of your gal, Ella Fitzgerald. Yay! Ella is widely known for her jazz singing and I'm admittedly more of a rock and roll kind of girl myself, so names in the jazz world aren't really that well known to me, but silly as this may seem, I've grown a new appreciation for jazz music because uh, right after seeing the Oscar award winning movie La La Land, and it really explained like the origin of jazz really well, and when you start to understand something, there's something... Uh, like how it was born, you start to feel like a certain kind of connection with it. And um, after feeling that connection and then researching Ella, I really feel, even though it's not my typical type of music, I really feel a a nice connection with it. Oh, yeah. No matter how it gets you into it. I love that a movie got you into jazz a little bit. Totally. (laughs) Hopefully it is a lifelong love. Oh, yes. As (laughs) what I knew of Ella before the show uh, was her music. And I also knew her uh, Marilyn Monroe connection, which we are totally going to get into later in the show. Oh, yeah. Um, I love Ella's music. In fact, if you ask my kids, they will tell you how obsessed I am with 40s swing music and jazz. Uh, When I'm working in the office, I am blaring Ella Fitzgerald and Billie Holiday, Etta James, Nina Simone, Louis Armstrong, and just about anything Rat Pack. I just absolutely adore them. Um, I even actually have more recent artists that kind of like keep jazz alive. And I love them. They are Cara Emerald and Emile de May. I love them both and I highly recommend them. And Ella's music, on one hand it's just it's so fun and it's so energetic but then on the other hand it's so incredibly soulful and introspective um my favorites are a tisket a tasket of course uh miss otis regrets is one of the saddest songs i love that song um but my all-time favorite of hers is her duet with louis armstrong uh dream a little dream of me i think hands down that is the best version of that song that's awesome <laughs> so phoebe where was ella born and where did she grow up Well, Ella was born on April 25th in 1917 in Newport News, Virginia, and her parents were William Fitzgerald and a temperance or Tempe Fitzgerald. Shortly after she was born, her parents actually split up and Ella lived with her mother and her mother's new boyfriend, Joseph DeSalva, in Yonkers, New York. Ella's half-sister was born in 1923 
and soon after that, Ella began referring to Joseph as her father. So they all initially lived in a single-room housing, and both her mother and Joseph worked a lot to pay the bills. Her mother, Tempe, worked out worked at a laundromat and did some catering while Joseph dug ditches and was a part-time chauffeur. The area they lived in was predominantly a poor Italian area, but it was also mixed, and it's said that Ella was able to quickly make friends with just about everyone, which is pretty awesome. Oh, yeah. So Ella started her formal education at the age of six and was very smart, and she moved up in her grades very quickly and very exceptionally. She attended Benjamin Franklin Junior High School, so we already see her as being this quick learner and anxious to move forward with her life and, you know, just do some great things. Yeah. So Ella had actually started out dancing in elementary school, and she liked to perform for her friends, even though she considered herself to be more of a tomboy. She also loved to sing with her friends and visit Harlem and watch different performances at the Apollo Theater. During this period, Ella listened to jazz recordings by Louis Armstrong, Bing Crosby, and the Boswell Sisters. She idolized the Boswell Sisters' lead singer, Connie Boswell. Later, she said, My mother brought home one of her records, and I fell in love with it. I tried so hard to sound just like her. I know that feeling. I remember having a Madonna record wanting to do the same thing. <laughs> that's amazing. That's that's amazing. <laughs> True Blue. First album I ever purchased. It was on record because I'm that old. <laughs> I love you so much. <laughs> I love it. We learn something new every day. <laughs> I know, right? The little fact trivias of Kate Chaplin's childhood. I love it. <laughs> True Blue on record. I will treasure that, that knowledge now. <laughs> It might get you a quarter at a trivia contest. Wait, no, it won't. Oh, man. (laughs) Well, I tried. So in 1932, when Ella was just 15, her mother actually died in a car accident. And Ella, of course, took this loss very hard. Um, Shortly thereafter, Ella moved in with her aunt back in Harlem. So not long afterwards, her stepfather actually suffered from a heart attack and died. And her little sister, Frances, joined her in Harlem with her aunt. So Ella actually became increasingly unhappy and entered one of the hardest periods in her life. Her grades dropped dramatically. She skipped school. I mean, I can only imagine how hard it was as a teenager and how you would react to these kinds of circumstances. It's devastating. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Even the most driven of people can be straight off the path if they're pushed too much. And In this case, Ella was pushed very hard and almost too much. Yeah. During this period, she worked at times as a lookout at a bordello, and she worked with the mafia-affiliated numbers, and she was a runner, which, according to the Urban Dictionary, was a lottery game that the mafia controlled in order to win more and gain more money. So she helped run and... and Run the numbers. Yeah, she was a number Mm -hmm. runner. Yep. I watched a lot of Goodfellas. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) so after getting into trouble with the police ella was taken into custody and sent to a reform school called the colored orphan asylum in riverdale in the bronx however when the orphanage proved too crowded she she was moved to new york training school for girls in hudson new york she was not treated very well in these places at all and she eventually escaped and was, was homeless for a time 
I can only imagine how hard it would have been for a young girl to be homeless like that, especially since uh, this happened during the Great Depression. Yeah, it's another really wicked blow. Yeah, totally. Ella later reflected on her most difficult years in her childhood, and she looked back with an appreciation for how they helped her mature. She used the memories from those times to help her gathering her emotions and performances, just like any good artist does, really. And she felt more and more grateful for her success because she knew what it was like to struggle in her life. So, Kate, when was Ella's first public performance as a singer? She was a dancer before, yeah. yes. Yeah. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Well, in 1934, Ella was picked from a weekly drawing to perform at the amateur contest at Harlem's Apollo Theater. Now, the story goes, she was going to enter as a dancer, but she saw the, she saw the Edward sisters, and they were the closing act, and they, she thought she could not compare, and so she changed her entering as a singer. And she sang Hoagie Carmichael's Judy, which was a favorite of her mother's and the crowd demanded an encore she followed up with the boswell sisters and won first place so off stage ella was shy and she was self-conscious about her looks and even her abilities as a singer but on the stage she found she had no fear uh she once said about that fateful night quote once up there i felt the acceptance and love from my audience i knew i wanted to sing before people for the rest of my life and i love that yeah that's some real dedication and you know you really love something when you feel so strongly and so passionate passionately yeah. about it it's really amazing when you just kind of Find that calling that I'm good at this and people respond to it. (laughs) Yeah, that's just so cool to me. Oh, my goodness. Absolutely. Well, saxophonist and arranger Benny Carter was so impressed with Ella that night that he began to introduce her to anybody uh, that could help launch her career. Ella also entered and won just about every talent show contest she could find. And in 1935, she won a week-long performance with Tiny Bradshaw's band at the Harlem Opera House. This is where she met Chick Webb and joined his band as a singer. Soon, they were regular performers at the Savoy. So, Phoebe, how did Ella sing her way into our hearts for the rest of the 30s? Well, I thought it was interesting to note that they were reluctant at first to actually sign Ella onto the band. But Chick Webb actually vouched for her, and as soon as she performed, all doubts from anybody else went away, because she was that good. Um, Mm -hmm. I think it's so adorable how she she was so shy in public, but when she was on stage, she was really in her element, and she just fell at home, and she blossomed. Totally. Ella performed with the band at the Savoy, like you said, and with them, she actually recorded some songs, which became hit titles. Um, they're called Love and Kisses, and if you can't swing it, you'll have to sing it. I love that one. <laughs> I know. I love saying that. I love saying uh-huh. all of these titles, in fact. They're just, they're so much fun. They're adorable <laughs> they and are. sassy and so much a product of their time. Totally. <laughs> I was like, I, I I was actually like swaying my body a little bit while I was saying it, because like, you, That's can't right. just, you can't just stand still and say that. You gotta swing, yes. You gotta do it. <laughs> Um, so it was actually a song that she co-wrote and recorded that really made her famous. So her first and number one hit single was A Tisket, A Tasket. And later that year, Ella recorded her second hit, I Found My Yellow Basket. Now, let's just, like, take a minute because, like we were saying, these are too much fun to say. So I just have to say it out, like, all, uh-huh. all at once, right? A Tisket, A Tasket, I Found My ma- Yellow Basket. Like, 
Isn't that just so <laughs> yep. much fun it's, to say, though? It's adorable. And the song is so cute. She sings it in this little, almost like little kid voice. And it just, I just, I adore it. It's so cute. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> So in 1939, Chick Webb actually died, and then Ella became the leader, so to speak, of the of the band. The band was actually renamed Ella Fitzgerald and her famous orchestra, or some actually knew it as Ella Fitzgerald and her famous band. Um, Ella continued on and recorded nearly 150 songs with the Webb's orchestra between 1935 and then when it ended in 1942. She also had her own side project going on during this whole thing, and that was known as Ella Fitzgerald and her Savoy 8. In her New York Times obituary in 1996, um, Stephen Holder echoed the conventional critical view of the time in describing the majority of Ella's recordings during this period as novelties and disposable pop flip, which feels kind of harsh, but... I wanted to, like, reflect on that he said that so we can kind of understand, like, this is where she came from, but her sound didn't stay as the quote-unquote pop fluff, as he said. It actually evolved. So, Kate, tell us a little bit about that, how in the 40s she evolved. Oh, totally. In the 40s, Ella went solo, and she actually rocketed to stardom. Um, She was offered a record deal with Decca Records. She had two more hit songs with the Ink Spots and with Louis Jordan. She also made her film debut in 1942 in an Abbott and Costello movie called Ride'em Cowboy, where she sang a tisket a tasket. In the mid-1940s, she started working with Norman Granz. Now, Granz would later found Verve Records, and he was responsible for starting the jazz at the Philharmonic. Granz actually became Ella's manager. Also in the 40s is when Ella was on tour with the revolutionary trumpet player Dizzy Gillespie. This is when she started scatting. Now, scat is when a singer improvises a melody using their voice as an instrument rather than lyrical. And it started as early as 1911, but Ella is generally considered to be one of the greatest scat singers in jazz history. And because it's actually kind of hard to explain, here is a quick sample from her song, Airmail. So you can hear in that clip how her voice almost becomes a trumpet, but at the same time, you're thinking, how in the world does she articulate that fast? Right. I. How does she move her tongue? Like, you have to... It's almost like another language. You have to articulate your tongue and move it around and move your mouth around in ways that yeah. I was like, not quite natural if... You don't. I don't work want to. Work at it. Yeah, if you don't, you have yeah. to work at it. It's like it, it reminds me of learning, like trying to, us trying to learn French or something. You know, our right, mouths exactly. are not used to making those sounds. Yeah. And so, if I were to try to do that, just you know, off the hook, like no problem. Yeah. Right. No, I would have some problems because I don't. <laughs> uh, my tongue is like what? That's that's not how this works. Like that's. I don't know how to. 
how to move like that. Yeah. And it, to me, it's almost like um, when you try to learn how to play uh, like a wind instrument, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? A, a trumpet or a flute. Yeah. Um, or, you know, the way that you kind of use your mouth. But I mean, I can still pick out, even though she's not doing, um, you know, normal, intelligible words. Right. I can still hear what is shoe up and what is do and oh, what is totally. be. And like, I can still hear like all the little bits of it. And I just... I love the idea that she's making her voice into an instrument. Absolutely. But just kind of jamming with it. Yeah. And she's just like, she's going with the flow and she can like put her whole body into it. A large part of what jazz is, is like just kind of going with the flow and adding what you think sounds good. And like you use whatever instrument you have and you just add to the music and then you go um, back and forth and it's like this dance, but it's almost like... Kind of vibe yeah. off each other. Mm-hmm. Oh, and she had a great oh voice, so it's like, why not use right? that voice as an oh instrument, right? <laughs> and she's so much fun and so passionate and like bouncy with it. And it's like, oh, totally. I don't even care that I can't understand you. You sound like a trumpet. You sound like... Well, now you sound like a trumpet. Now you sound like a clarinet. Like you sound however you want to sound, which is really cool. Right. Uh, and scat is also as well with jazz. It does come down to personal styles too. Totally. Um, there's choices in pitch, in articulation, and in syllables, because Ella mimics what big band and swing styles were. And Sarah Vaughn, who was another scat, she would she was more bop era, which is actually what I call cool jazz. Mm-hmm. Um, so she would do like the shooby doo shooby doo sort of scatting. Um, also in the 1940s, um, Ella did marry. Twice. Her first marriage was to a dock worker named Ben Corngay. But in 1941, when she found out he had a criminal record, oh the marriage was quickly annulled. <laughs> However, in... I know, right? Take these backsies. <laughs> I mean, she has a criminal record too, technically. But I know, was right? Worse. <laughs> it was probably one of those things where it's like, oh no, what rabbit hole am I going down on this? Totally. It's probably let me let me abandon ship. Yeah, before it let gets me worse. let me jump ship before. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Before it gets worse. I have already been homeless. <laughs> I have already been on the streets. I have already run numbers for the mafia. Right. I know how this story can end. Exactly. Let's <laughs> not do that again. <laughs> yup. Uh, but in 1947, L. Ella fell in love and she married Ray Brown. Brown was a bass player and played with Dizzy Gillespie and the two of them adopted a son. So things were going great for Ella in the 40s. So Phoebe, what happened to Ella in the 50s? Well, in 1954, there was an incident that actually caused Ella to miss um, two well-booked shows in Australia. Like they were, they were really packed. She had to nice, but right, oh no. <laughs> right, but she had to miss them, and then she had to actually book two free concerts to make up for it in Australia. The reason uh-huh. she missed it was Ella and her band all had first class tickets on their scheduled Pan American Airlines flight from Honolulu to Sydney. Well, Ella and two other members were ordered to leave the aircraft after they had already boarded, and they were even refused permission to reboard to retrieve their luggage and their clothing. And then, as a result, they were actually just stranded in Honolulu for three days before they could get another flight to Sydney. And mm. Yeah. So, although it was denied a lot by the airline that it was a dispute, a racial dispute, they right. highly denied it. Um, the band actually filed a civil suit for racial discrimination against Pan Am, and they won. 
So good for them. Yeah, totally. Oh my goodness. Like that was a big hassle to have to reschedule things. And it's like, oh my goodness. Yeah. Ellie was at the top of her game. She you was. kidding me? <laughs> it was like, come on, man. Like, like, it, it goes Ella to show. Fitzgerald. Right. It goes to show <laughs> that like you could be, you could be famous then. And it's like, even then still it wasn't. Racial discrimination right. exists. Exactly. Yeah. And it may or may not be good enough. You know, it's still, you're judged by how you look or your race or yeah. your sex or whatever. And it's like, oh, it is. But I'm I'm glad our world is evolving more and we're getting more well-rounded yes. as a society and such. Absolutely. So as the time moved on, again, the music also moved on. So the, the music industry ebbed and flowed. And as Ella said... Um, I had gotten to the point where I only sang bebop, and I thought bebop was it, and that all I had to do was go someplace and sing bop, and I was good, but I finally got to the point where I had no place to sing. I realized that there was more to music than bop, so Norman felt that I should do other things, so he produced Ella Fitzgerald Sings the Cole Porter Songbook. And he produced that with me. And it was my turning point in my life. I have that album. It's amazing. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> so it was 1955, and there were still racial prejudices around, like we just said. And um, for an example, people of color were not often allowed to sing in popular nightclubs, only the smaller ones. So Ella Fitzgerald, for example, was had to go mostly to the smaller nightclubs and to sing because she wasn't allowed in the bigger ones. So at this point, Marilyn Monroe had fled to Hollywood to immerse herself in New York and find herself outside of the typecasted ditzy blonde. She fell in love with jazz music, and she also fell in love with Ella Fitzgerald. So when she learned that Ella was not allowed to sing at her favorite nightclub, the Macombo, Marilyn went to the nightclub manager and promised that if they let Ella sing, that she would sit in the front row for any photos and publicity that the nightclub could ever want, and she would do that nice. every night. Of course, the nightclub being, you know, wise and everything, agreed. Mm -hmm. And Marilyn being a big star. <laughs> right, it's like, that's a big deal for Marilyn Monroe, as anybody would know. So, mm -hmm. of course they agreed, and Ella sang fairly often there. And Marilyn was there every single night Ella was, and she always listened, and she was always in the front row. So over time, they actually became really good friends, and they discovered that they had a lot in common. They had, they both had broken childhoods, they had crazy careers in the arts, and, you know, all these kinds of things that they actually really ha could relate to with each other. Yeah. They were like kindred spirits. They were. And it makes me so tickled to think that they were best friends. I mean, can you imagine the stories that they'd share and tell to one another and the stories they'd even create together? Like, it's just so I would cool. love to be a fly in the wall on that. That I would do. be so cool. Oh, that would be. It's like, oh, I wish I could just, like, there was, like, footage of their conversation or something. Like, oh, my gosh. It's just mm -hmm. so cool. <laughs> Girls helping each other out. I love totally. it. It's like I'm geeking out thinking about it. <laughs> yep. It needs to be a movie. It does. It really does. Actually, I think it is. It's a there's a at least a short movie. Maybe. Are you thinking of the drunk history clip? No. There's one. Oh. There's another one and it showcases Ella's life and it also it kind of 
like Wikipedia said that it exaggerates their encounter a little bit in the movie. But oh, okay. I mean, it's a movie. But it's a movie. And it's super cool. So I think that's really awesome. I like it. Awesome. Yeah. So I just wanted to read this one quote that Ella said, even though it's kind of something we've already touched on, just because it's so adorable to me. So Ella said, I own Marilyn Monroe a real debt. She personally called to the owner of the Macombo, and she told him that she wanted me booked immediately. And if he would do it, she would take a front table every night. She told him, and it was true. Due to Marilyn's superstar status and the press would go wild, the owner said yes. And Marilyn was there, front table, every night. The press went overboard. After that, I never had to play a small jazz club again. She was an unusual woman, a little ahead of her times, and she didn't know it. I love that. Yeah, me too. After this encounter, Ella's career soared, and she just... Ella owed a lot of her career and, like, the... The doors opening, really. to Marilyn Monroe, of all people, which is so cool. It's very, very cool. So, Kate, what did she do with that? That she could do even more? Mm -hmm. Um, Well, in the 1960s and 70s, she spent most of her life on tour, actually. She seized the opportunity. Uh, She even broke into the pop charts with her version of Mac the Knife. Yay! She did an amazing two-week engagement with Frank Sinatra and Count Basie in New York City. She even got her own star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Oh, that's so cool. I know. I love it. I wonder if it's anywhere near Marilyn Monroe. Wouldn't that be cool? <laughs> That'd be so it cool. It usually, usually has to do with when you got it. Right. Um, of how close they are to one another, because they're usually like in sequence. I got But you. they do move down in four different directions, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, wow. Um, down Hollywood. So, right. yes. But that would be fun to actually look up and see how close they yeah, are. Yeah, totally. <laughs> In 1979, Ella received the Kennedy Center honors for her continuing contributions to the arts. By the 1980s, with 60 years of touring and performing, she suffered some serious health problems. In 1986, she underwent a heart surgery and was diagnosed with diabetes, which actually explained why her eyesight had been failing. She had been struggling with it and didn't know why. The press said she would never sing again, but Ella carried on and she continued to thrill audiences for as long as she could. In 1987, Ella was awarded the National Medal of Arts from President Ronald Reagan. She recorded her last song in 1989 and made her last public appearance at Carnegie Hall in 1991. Her diabetes did cause her to go blind and sadly to have both legs amputated in 1994. She died two years later at the age of 79 the marquee outside the hollywood bowl theater read ella we will miss you so phoebe what legacy do you think ella wanted to leave behind i was reading about her having the diabetes and then her amputations and stuff and i was like oh my goodness like it really hit me hard it really hit me hard and then i was trying to read more and like how did she take it you know and she didn't go woe is me she was just like, okay, this is life. Life. I had a good life. Like, right. I was like, okay, if she can take it, I, I think I can find it in my heart to take it with her, you know? And that, right, I feel like exactly. that, yeah, I feel like that just shows her character a lot. Absolutely. She is one strong lady. She really <laughs> is. And it's just like, she helped me have a certain kind of peace about things. Yeah. And I, I th- honestly think that, um, she found something that made her feel at home 
that did give her that feeling of this is where I was placed on this earth to do and that that was singing and and she just did it. And yeah. I don't really think that she was trying to prove anything necessarily to the world. I don't really get the impression she was actively trying to pave the road for others or she was like right. um you know trying really hard to do to to make a point. I didn't really get that impression while doing the research. I didn't either. I'm totally with you. Yeah. yeah. But she was passionate about everything she did and she loved her job so so much and she stuck with it just like any artist who's passionate would do you know mm-hmm. <clears throat> and i think maybe i think maybe that she wanted to leave behind the encouragement to do what you love and to do it with your whole heart and to just go for it and to to enjoy your life and be grateful for what you have in your life and just like she was she wasn't like looking at other people and like oh why don't i have that why don't she was grateful for what she had and she was grateful that she could make an impact on other people's lives even though she just wanted to sing you know right and i think that's extremely noble absolutely i mean i i feel like ella wanted to leave behind a love of jazz right and leave some amazing performances um, I, I also, I don't think that she felt like during her life that she was leaving a legacy. Mm-hmm. I think she was doing something she was good at <laughs> and she liked to do. Uh, in her later years, she did say, I'm just a ballad singer. And maybe that was her being humble and maybe it was actually her being really kind of hard on herself. Um, her songs, no matter if they are upbeat or toe tapping, scat filled, making her music sound like or her voice sound like an instrument or soulful to the point of tears. I think her work in two words are talented and honest. Absolutely. I never felt like Ella was like a constructed artist uh, with like a PR department and a manager making her over, uh, making her into something she wasn't. She was a ballad singer, but she was also the best one out there. Um, No one pulls you into a song like Ella does. And I know that if I was a musician... Ella would be a major inspiration to me. Absolutely. So what did you learn from Ella? I think she had a very good point with her career on like changing the styles. But like you said, it wasn't, it didn't feel forced. It didn't feel like somebody else was making her do it. She decided to go with the flow and her music and style changed as people's tastes started to change, which I found very wise um, but she also stayed true to herself. And totally. as a filmmaker, I'm taught to know my audi- audience, so to speak. And that's what Ella had to do. And she did it very well. And so as a filmmaker, that's kind of what I've learned from her. You know, to know your audience and you can still grow with your audience and still be true mm-hmm. to yourself. Oh, absolutely. That's a good one. Yeah. On a more personal level, I think I learned that, yes, we're all born to do something. We really, really are. And when we find that something, it just blooms from your very soul. And in Ella's case, quite literally. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I love that. Um, What I really connected to Ella was feeling different on stage. That part really hit me. Oh, totally. Her saying that she felt the acceptance of love when she was on stage, that just... That that hit me in all the feels, basically. 
I mean, that has to be the reason why she spent most of her life on stage, totally. getting that acceptance and love. Um, and I feel that the the take from the audience of that acceptance and love was then given back to them in song. Yeah. So Ella's performances, they never feel like the I'm just here to sing you the songs you paid for kind of performance. Right. <laughs> She really is giving that audience's love and they give it back. It's such a, a beautiful give and take. And I think it's a rare thing um, that we actually, you know, kind of see in a performance and an audience. Absolutely. Did you have any final thoughts on Ella Fitzgerald? I just think that she's so amazing and she we can learn so much from her. She didn't necessarily care about the world. She didn't necessarily care in the sense of like, Oh, what do they think of me? Or like, oh, there's still discrimination against me or stuff like that. Right. Everything that's said about her, she doesn't, she didn't seem to really like focus on that. She focused more on being grateful for what she had. Good things co- can come from bad circumstances, just like in oh, her totally. life. And mm-hmm. a beautiful thing came from her life. She, in a, Ella, in a way, kind of reminds me of taylor swift because taylor swift Uh seems like a modern day ella to me um because she went from country to pop in just a couple albums oh yeah i see what you're saying yeah Yeah. so and it wasn't like oh some like to my impression to my knowledge nobody like forced her to do it she was growing in her career she was writing music she was exploring and she was like you know dabbling in different and new things and I yeah, think she was expressing herself in anything that seemed uh, interesting, exactly. just going with it. Exactly. And I feel like she's almost like a modern Ella Fitzgerald in, in that respect. And I think that's really cool how um, artists can kind of mimic each other and like learn from each other and, and still grow. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, and to totally riff on that too, I haven't seen a whole bunch of live concerts, you know, in my lifetime. Right. Um, but I have gone to a few and the one that always sticks out, um, is actually when I went to a Green Day concert, which is really weird to bring <laughs> up Green Day in an Ella Fitzgerald episode, but seeing a band perform that A, wants to be there, right. <laughs> and B, is performing for you. Right. I mean, Green Day never felt like, when I when I did see them, they didn't feel like it was a paid for, for performance, like a lot of the other concerts that I had seen. Totally. I saw the Rolling Stones, and I felt like, yeah, they're just doing what they got to do to get their paycheck. It wasn't a connection to the audience. Right. Where I got that um, with the Green Day concerts that I went to. They really fed off of the audience, and they really gave it back to them. So that essence of what I experienced there, I put that into what Ella was doing. That's so awesome. Because I watched the videos of her on stage, and they're amazing. Like, right. I'm pulled in, and I'm watching it on a video screen. Totally. So I kind of have to go to that Green Day concert. <laughs> Right. And, and imagine watching Ella on stage exactly. and being pulled into her. And I'm like, I'll bet you that was just everything. Like you probably became an Ella Fitzgerald fan for life. Oh, yeah. Seeing her perform. Oh, my yeah, that's goodness. the kind of the, the feeling that I got from her. Absolutely. <laughs> I became a fan for life just buying an album. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> Can't imagine like meeting her in person, seeing her in person. Oh, my goodness. Yes. She was a she was a full package performer Absolutely. and she brought it and I loved it. That's so cool. 
That wraps it up for us. Thank you for listening to Your Gal Friday. You can find out more about Ella Fitzgerald and the upcoming gals that we will be covering over at galsguide.org. If you like the show and find value in the gals that we cover, please subscribe, share with your friends, and visit our Patreon page. Links to everything are at galsguide.org. So we will leave you with this quote from Ella. Just don't give up trying to do what you really want to do. Where there is love and inspiration, I don't think you can go wrong. For more information about this week's gal or to check out our previous episodes, visit galsguide.org. To support the show, visit the Gals Guide Patreon page. We've got great perks like behind the scenes, early access, and private live streams. Thank you so much for subscribing to Your Gal Friday. 